Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm... Wait, am I the straight-laced psychotherapist? I thought I was going to be the unconventional hypnotherapist, and you were going to be the super serious trauma specialist. No, you were going to be the relationship expert. Like, love expert. And you're going to be the specialist who guides people with down-to-earth techniques for transmuting trauma? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, good. I'll be the love expert. I mean, I am the love expert. I think we have this all sorted out. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light, and this is Holding Ground. Today and every Monday, we've got a little bit of everything for you. Shall we? Yeah, let's do this. Good morning. You're listening to Holding Ground, where we bring you a little bit of everything in the world of therapy and positive mental health every Monday morning. My name is Laura Richer. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And today I'm joined by marriage and family therapist, Kat Carson. Kat is the newest addition to the Anchor Light team. She is currently working with children, families, and couples. And today we're going to be tackling a very important and sometimes hard to talk about topic. And that's suicide prevention in children and teens. Life has been stressful to say the very least this last year. And our youth are suffering for a myriad of reasons that have contributed to an increased suicide rate. So it's important that we know how to identify the signs of depression and suicide risk in kids and teens. Kat, I'm so glad you could join us this morning to speak on this issue. Um, Good morning, Laura. I'm so happy to be on the show today. I'm excited to join you. And um, this is an issue that is very near and dear to my heart, um, especially during this horrendous time for kids and families. Kat, you have an extensive background with crisis intervention and working with youth, and I would love for you to share some of your background and how you got involved in this type of work. Um, Absolutely. I started out, actually, I used to do nonprofit event management and fundraising, and I actually started out in mental health as a volunteer on the King County Crisis Line um, about 10 years ago. Um, And it was just something that um, I felt would enrich my life and would be a good way to give back. And I found that it was something that um, really spoke to me and really was a wonderful volunteer opportunity. Um, and uh, so you just decided to make a career out of it. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I started out there as a volunteer. And then after many years, I got a job there as a crisis intervention specialist. and. Um, transitioned. And then eventually I went to school to become a therapist. Well, Kat, I'm so glad that you're here as part of the Anchor Light team and also here to talk about this today, to talk about this important topic. And sometimes this can be a really tough topic to, to discuss. We don't like to think about kids and teens being at risk for suicide, but the truth is that that's something that really is happening right now. It's so true. Um, and, you know, everyone right now is under more stress is just facing a large number of stressors in life and parents are facing them and kids are facing them too. And um, a lot of times kids don't have the language to express what they need or even the knowledge yet to understand what it is they need. Um, And so just in the same ways that we've all been cut off from friends and social outlets and the things that we have learned we need to feed us and um, keep us balanced and, um, you know, make us feel good. Kids have also been cut off from those things and they might not even know what they need. They just know that 
they're feeling hopeless, some of them. Yeah. And not even really understand why that is. Exactly. Yeah. So what are some of the stressors that you're, when you're working with kids that you're seeing come up right now during this time? Cause I think it's very easy to think, you know, the kids are home and they're doing online school, but the parents are so stressed out about all the things that they have to manage and going on. They might not recognize the stressors in kids. Right. I think first of all, parents are so um, stretched thin right now trying to work from home or, um, you know, go to work and face whatever stressors they have there, being exposed, um, find childcare for their kids or set up some kind of virtual schooling that's supervised. It's just, you know, there's no way to make things work without a lot of stress right now. Yeah. Um, And the school system is not working for a lot of kids children learn in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, it's very difficult to sit in front of a screen and be able to get what they need that way. Yeah. I mean, many adults probably notice that they leave their online meetings or their, you know, Zoom conversations with friends feeling like it's a bit of a sad substitution Mm -hmm. for seeing people in person. And for kids who need to um, maybe have man- manipulatable um, math things and um, you know be drawing and interacting and, and not just sitting in front of a screen exactly yeah. they're they're feeling really lost and it can also be hard for kids with anxiety to speak up mm-hmm. or be noticed if they're if they're not understanding, because you more or less have to interrupt a whole class, a Zoom classroom to, yeah. to let people know that you're not getting it. And, yeah. and it's really easy to slip through the cracks. So, um, so that's going on. Then, you know, you have increased conflict at home because everyone's on top of each other right now. And, um, and then a lot of times there are important people at school that kids relied on for support. Um, teachers and after school people and, um, you know, maybe their ballet teacher or um, various other support people in their life who they're cut off from. Yeah. Well, and just their friends, you know, I think about teenagers and in high school right now. And when you're a teenager, your friends and your social circle, it's your whole life. And then to have been isolated for a whole year where you don't have contact with anyone or very few people is really depressing. Absolutely. And I think as adults, we have been through hard things before. Although for many of us, we haven't been through something like this before. No, we none of us have been through the, a global pandemic until now. So, but you know, it, you know, if we're in our forties, then we think this is one fortieth of our lifetime. Mm-hmm. But if you're ten or twelve, this feels like an incredibly long period of time yeah. that will never end. Yeah, and um, kids are prone to that kind of all-or-nothing thinking that you know everything is ruined, everything is bad. Um, And the truth is that people in crisis and people that are suffering with depression are also prone to that kind of black and white thinking. Um, You know, when we're in crisis and things are really hard, we kind of get tunnel vision Yeah, and it's hard to see, to have perspective and see that things are going to change and things are going to get better. So what are some of the risk factors that, that maybe parents should be looking out for in their teens and children um, that might increase their risk for suicide or suicide ideation? Um, So you know, 
one of the main ways that kids will communicate that feeling of hopelessness is the kind of statements that they'll make. Um, you know, I, I want to disappear. I wish I wasn't here. Everything is, everything is awful and nothing will ever get better. Mm. Um, and so just really listening to the language that your kids are, are using right now. Yeah. And, you know, not every child who expresses that is suicidal mm-hmm. per se. Um, but, you know, that sense of hopelessness can indicate that and it can develop um, into, into those kind of feelings. Mm-hmm. So it's important to, to be in open communication. And even if they aren't suicidal, it could indicate that there's a mental health issue that probably needs to be addressed, whether that's just talking to your kids or going to therapy or intervening in some sort of way. Absolutely. You know, the other thing that I look for in kids is um, drastic behavior changes. Um, You know, has your kids sleeping and eating patterns changed drastically? And that could be increase in sleep or a big decrease in sleep. Um, you know, nightmares. Um, it could be um, a big decrease in in the amount of food they're eating, or an increase. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be um, a change in their ability to kind of do their regular self care stuff. I mean, granted, it's hard to get kids to take baths. <laughs> <laughs> normal as well. <laughs> that, that struggle is real. And, <laughs> and also like, who is as groomed as they were during the pandemic before? Sure. Even everyone who's been working at home is wearing their sweats every day. Yeah. yeah. So kids, kids, we can like, we can be on board with them being a little manky, but, yeah. <laughs> but I'm talking about, um, you know, a little bit more of a, um, an extreme change. And what about acting out? I've talked to some parents who their kids are really before really didn't act out. And now they're having a lot of behavioral issues that are coming up with their kids. Um, And, you know, that definitely can be an an indication that there's emotional turmoil going on. And um, I think that in combination with the expressions of hopelessness or um, complete withdrawal from the family, um, you know, uh, very flat affect or depressed behavior, Uh, big explosions of anger, you know, I think at this point, being really tuned in to big changes in your kids Mm -hmm. is important. And um, also understanding that not, not every one of those changes is going to be an indication of suicide risk. However, um, there has been an increase in, Mm -hmm. in suicides among kids and teens. And um, it's, it's important to be really checking in with them, even though we are so at the end of our ropes right now in terms of just being exhausted and being like, oh my gosh, I need my kids to go back yeah. to school. We all need space from each other. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a rough time. So I know according to the APA, the American Psychology Association, that there are some factors that will increase the risk of suicidal thoughts or behaviors in kids. And so some of those things to, to take note of are if they already have a mental health diagnosis. So if they previous to the pandemic were diagnosed with depression, anxiety, or any other mood disorder, um, if there's been any occurrence of alcohol or substance use, if they indicate that or that they have any impulsive type behaviors, what would be some examples of those impulsive behaviors to look out for? Well, you know, kids and teens can be impulsive in general. And this is why teenagers, um, 
you know, can be at higher risk for suicide because we all know that they make impulsive decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that frontal lobe of their brain, their nerves are not myelinated yet mm-hmm. and their higher brain function is not ready to think things through all the way. It's just and not- weigh out the consequences. Yeah, yeah. it's not there. They're, and they're in a risk-taking time. And so, um, you know, they can really- um, kind of be in danger if they're in that very depressed place and motivated to take action. So, yeah. um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and so, you know, some of the other things that were pointed out on this list are if they already have a history of trauma or, or abuse. And then also I thought this was important to, to take a look at. And this is very much in line with just what you said about their ability to weigh out consequences. If they have a family history of suicide or friends, uh, if they've had any friends that have committed suicide, that they're at higher risk. Cause again, not being able to weigh out those consequences and seeing that as an example right. to follow. And actually, you know, that's something when we're assessing for suicide risk with any per- people of any age, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the things that we ask is, do you know anyone who's completed suicide? Because um, something happens for us when we know someone who has actually completed suicide, if it's a family member or a friend, it kind of brings that into the realm of possibility Mm, and it becomes a viable option. So, um, and, you know, there seem to be, especially with teenagers, these clusters where um, it almost seems contagious, um, which, you know, obviously it's, you know, it's not like a disease Mm -hmm. in that way, but um, it's something that um, needs to be definitely addressed when it happens in a community, it really needs to be addressed with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing they pointed out, which I think is probably more, more prevalent, maybe even now that everything is online is your kids being bullied or cyber bullied. Absolutely. And you know, kids are spending tons and tons of time right now online, which is, you know, I mean, look, (laughs) it's just how it is. And uh, a lot of parents are having screen shame because, you know, we come into this with maybe these ideas of screen limits and how much time our kids should be spending in front of the screen. And, um, you know, most parents have, um, a master's in parent guilt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's just like, that's, that's our specialty and it's really easy to beat ourselves up. But, um, I had a client yesterday who has three kids and she was saying, she's like, feeling so guilty. She's like, I, you know, I mean, cause sometimes I yell at my kids and I'm like, well, you're home with them all day long, working full time. And it's great that you recognize that maybe that's not the most effective form of communication, but you might end up doing that sometimes. Yeah. 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 I just side note for parents out there is just to know that, um, it's okay to have for your kids to know that you have limits. Um, none of us are mother Teresa mm-hmm. or, have reached nirvana, mm-hmm. um, sainthood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I yeah. think everyone has, has barked at their kids this year at some point. So have a little self-compassion and give yourself some grace because <laughs> you can't be perfect in tough times like this. Um, but sorry, back yeah. to, sc- I digress. Yeah. <laughs> I do that sometimes <laughs> um, back to screen time. Um, so there's certain games like Roblox and, um, a couple other games have like really taken off as mm-hmm. super popular and there um, a lot of kids are playing them. My own kiddo has, um, has gotten into Minecraft. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, there's like chat rooms on the side and, 
there's all this stuff going on and it's their social outlet. Yeah, and it's how they're interacting with their peers right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there, there's some kind of some wacky stuff going on in there sometimes. It's hard to keep track of what it is. Mm-hmm. So you might need to be, if your child is showing some warning signs, you might want to do an in-depth investigation about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, you know, monitoring the chat, their chat. Mm-hmm. Um, in the game is probably a good idea because there are, are also, you know, um, sometimes adults pretending to be kids in there oh, who are creepy. That's another show. That's but. another, yes, <laughs> but important to be mindful of. So, so Kat, just tell us what are some of the warning signs that parents might be looking for if they're, you know, if they suspect that their kid is depressed or, or anxious or that maybe something needs to address, what are some of the warning signs they should look out for? Okay. So as I said before, um, physical changes in appearance, you know, if you had a kid who was really keeping up, you know, really cared about how they looked, and then suddenly they really don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, If they are, um, you know, experimenting with alcohol, alcohol and drugs in a way that's new and, Mm -hmm. and um, feels dangerous to you. Um, If they're, if their grades suddenly drop off, and, you know, Right now, I don't want every parent out there whose child has, you know, is floundering in school a little bit to mm-hmm. freak out because I think we all need to give our kids a little bit of space right now mm-hmm. to focus on just getting through this and, mm-hmm. and maybe grades don't matter as much, but um, you're sort of looking for big changes. So if you had an A plus child all the way along and then all of a sudden they are not even going to school and they're failing all their classes, that's yeah. a drastic change. Exactly. Yeah. Um, social withdrawal. So um, your your kid really doesn't want to talk to you anymore or isn't connecting with <clears throat> the people in the life that they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about suicide or a preoccupation with death. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I think it's really important, as I was just saying, to monitor the online activities because there's a lot of online groups that kids are getting into right now that um, where they're talking about um depression and suicide. And some of it might be a healthy way to connect about sadness. And some of it might be um, a little bit darker. So it's good to just have an eye on what's going on online. Um, And then, you know, other risky behaviors, um, other self-harming behaviors, um, cutting, risky sexual behaviors, obviously, you know, we're talking about age range of kids and to teens, yeah, kids to teens and and some of your kids, this won't apply to. Um, But talking about feeling really hopeless, and this is never going to be over, Mm -hmm. or nobody likes me, or I'm never going to have friends or, um, you know, it might sound different coming from your child. Mm -hmm. Well, this is all really good information. And so we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about suicide prevention and how to identify when your loved one might be at risk. Remember, if you want to catch any past episodes of Holding Ground or schedule a complimentary consultation with Kat or any of the Anchor Light Therapists, you can find us anytime at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll be right back. Being a teenager is tough. There's the constant pressure to be liked. Endless worrying about college. Cyberbullying, high expectations, all the negativity. There's no question. Being a teenager is tough. And what do Washington's teens do when they want to block out the noise and clear their heads? We play! 
Research shows that teenagers who participate in high school sports have lower stress levels, more confidence, and greater self-esteem. And then there's the biggest benefit of all. High school sports are fun. Not just fun. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Encourage your teenagers to participate in a sport or activity when they go to high school. They'll stress less and smile more. And they'll be laying the foundation for a happier, healthier future. This message presented by the Washington Interscholastic Activities Association and the Washington State Secondary Athletic Administrators Association. Exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground. My name is Kat Carson, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist at Anchor Light Therapy in Seattle, Washington. Today, we are talking about suicide prevention in children and teens. This is such an important topic. I really want clients or parents and anyone to be able to identify the risk because it's so tragic when something like this happens. So we're going to keep talking about how you can see identify the risks that sometimes go unnoticed. So Kat, who is most at risk for child and teen suicide? Um, so, you know, one group of kids that is particularly at risk is LGBTQ plus kids and teens. And um, it's uh, something that I would see all the time at the crisis clinic. Um, you know, you take the the difficult issues of being a kid mm -hmm. and you compound that with, um, uh, you know, possibly being part of a religious community that mm -hmm. condemns who you are, possibly having parents that don't understand or know who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a society that is really full of homophobic <clears throat> messaging. Mm -hmm. And um, these kids are really struggling yeah. um, to kind of, understand where they fit. Um, and there's some pretty alarming statistics about this. So, um, I mean, first of all, just overall, suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people ages 10 to 24. Mm -hmm. So that's all young people. All, and that's, wow, the second leading cause. That's, I didn't realize that. That's yeah, it's, it's significant. It is significant. Um, and LGBTQ plus kids, um, seriously contemplate suicide at almost three times the rate of heterosexual youth. Mm -hmm. And they're almost five times as likely to have attempted suicide compared to heterosexual youth. Wow. Yeah. Um, so um, of all the attempts made by, by kids, LGBTQ kids were almost five times as likely to require medical treatment. Mm -hmm. So they tend to be more serious attempts. Um, and, um, you know, in a national study, 40% of trans adults reported having made a suicide attempt. 92% of these individuals reported having attempted suicide before the age of 25. Um, so one, you know, people who come from highly rejecting families are eight times more likely to have attempted suicide. Um, than those who come from uh, families that are more accepting. Mm -hmm. And um, one out of six students nationwide seriously considered suicide in the past year. So that's that's something to consider right now in terms mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Um, and that's all kids. And are those numbers you think a little bit higher right now? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you were at the crisis line, 
and somebody would call in, how did you, how did you help them? Well, um, you know, the most important thing to do would be to just connect and to provide that space that is non-judgmental, where um, people could feel free to share that hopelessness. And, um, you know, people are embarrassed about, and kids also, mm-hmm. about sharing the reasons that they're really feeling hopeless because there's shame associated with it. You know, we have such a focus on um, success and winning and um, doing well. Achieving results. Being positive Mm -hmm. and being happy. And um, the truth is that sometimes our culture doesn't really make space for grief and difficulty. And so people can really kind of stuff it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the most important thing is connecting. And just being able to share what you're going through. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, something that I think is really important. Um, well, I think, you know, a little bit later on the show, I want to teach families how to specifically talk to their kids about yeah, suicide. I'm going to get out into that yeah. here in a minute. Because there are some do's and don'ts that you want to be mindful about how you approach this topic so that it doesn't shame anyone further. Even if that isn't your intention, there are sometimes things that people say very well intended that don't land the way that they hope they would. Right. So we're going to talk about that in right. just a moment here. And so, you know, I think with any type of mental health in both children and adults, there is this stigma sometimes attached to it that like, I should be able to think my way out of this if I just had better character, or if I was a better person, then I would, then I wouldn't feel sad. And of course that's very unrealistic. And suicide is actually not attempts are maybe obviously, you know, significant with children right now, but suicide ideation is not uncommon in children or adults where, where things feel hopeless and somebody might think of suicide. It's actually pretty common. It is, it's, you know, um, it can be kind of a pressure release valve Mm -hmm. for people to think, you know, there could be an out. There could be an out. I wish I wasn't here. Yeah. I wish I didn't have to deal with this. And that's why, um, you know, when people are talking about it or making statements to that effect, um, you know, there's kind of a process for understanding how serious they are mm-hmm. and what that means. Yeah. So, you know, go, I think this goes well next to our next topic here, because I think there's a lot of myths about suicide. So what are some of the common myths that you think people don't understand things people don't understand about why someone might be suicidal? Um, well, I think people have this idea that suicide only affects people who <clears throat> have like a, you know, a very specific mental health condition mm-hmm. or maybe have been diagnosed or have, you know, who have been in the hospital before or, and the truth is that um, not everyone who um, is in danger from suicide has been diagnosed with a mental health condition mm-hmm. or who has sought help yet. In fact, a lot of very high achieving people have committed suicide in the past where nobody had any clue that anything was even wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's people that are very um, Mm over-functioning and have a hard time reaching out for help that are the ones that need it the most. Yeah. Yeah. So mental health conditions can definitely indicate that somebody might be more at risk, but 
serious mental health conditions are not a prerequisite for being suicidal. And in fact, we all suffer with mental health issues throughout our lifetime. So I think sometimes when we say mental health, it sounds like a big diagnosis, but in fact, we're all going to suffer from grief and loss and anxiety and depression. And that's just normal part of the human condition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so, you know, another, another reason I think people don't want to talk about going through periods of feeling suicidal is that they feel like once they admit that, then people will think that they're always suicidal mm -hmm. or they won't be trusted anymore. Um, uh, you know, that their stability will always be in question. And, um, another myth that exists is that, um, people feel like if they admit that they're suicidal, that, um, people, they're going to lose the trust of people mm -hmm. in their life, that people will think that they're unstable and that they're, that they're always going to be suicidal. And on the other side of that, I'm sure for parents, you know, if your child was to come to you and say that they were suicidal, that would put you on high alert and you might be looking for signs all the time. And in fact, that doesn't have to be the case that this can be short-term and passing, correct? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And being able to talk about it in a way that's calm and, um, that you know and kind of not lose our crap as mm -hmm. parents yeah and fly off the handle yeah that's a clinical term by yeah. the way <laughs> um, but um can can help it be something that can kind of be aired and then can dissipate yes and i think it's important to point out that people who attempt suicide oftentimes most of the times don't really want to die which seems counterintuitive, but what's really going on typically with somebody who's suicidal? Um, so when someone is in crisis and we've all experienced crisis, mm -hmm. whether or not we've gotten to the point of, you know, contemplating suicide or acting on it in that way, um, we're all familiar with the feeling of, um, of freaking out and feeling like our, our options are so few. Mm -hmm. So it's like either, either I get to the, I get to the bank in time to deposit my check or I'm bankrupt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> extreme, <laughs> extreme things on the spectrum. You know, yeah. Or, you know, I pass this test or I, I fail forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and things can become when we're in that heightened state, they can become so, um, black and white for mm -hmm. us. And so, a lot of our work on the crisis line was and is, um, although I'm, I'm not there anymore, but I sure miss it. I and mean, there's a lot of really great people there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a great resource to use if yeah. you or anyone you know is in crisis. Yeah, I'm going to be giving out those phone numbers shortly as yeah. well. But um, <clears throat> so it, it is sort of like bringing people down out of that escalated state mm -hmm. and, and reminding them, wait a second, there are, you know, there are other options. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't get to the bank, you know, maybe you could do a mobile deposit. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a strange banking example. I don't know. But it's true. I mean, just very like ex catastrophizing situations. Yes. And it feels like if I don't pass this test, I'm going to be a failure for the rest of my life. And exactly. in fact, that is most likely not going to be the case. So people who want to commit suicide or even people who attempt to commit suicide really don't typically want to die. They want to relieve this feeling of stress or crisis or whatever the deep painful emotions are that they're experiencing at that, at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, uh, 
something that we would find with um, teenagers is sometimes on the crisis line, we would have teenagers call in who um, had acted on their impulse and they had, you know, taken an overdose of pills mm -hmm. and regretted it yeah. immediately. Yeah. And they were calling for help. Mm -hmm. And so that's where some of that danger around impulsivity yeah. with kids um, exists because yeah. they don't have the, the mental ability to kind of think things through. Yeah. So they're more prone to being um, impulsive. You know, and I think about like a teenager going through their first breakup and it's such a painful experience and they've never had the experience of getting over it before. So they can't even imagine feeling better because they've never experienced something right. so intense. Right. So just having the support in place to help them through that, you know, they don't, they just don't want to feel that heartbreak. It's not necessarily that they want to kill themselves. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and then another myth is that most suicides happen suddenly without warning. And, um, you know, I, I have, I have mixed feelings about this because in no way do I want to make, you know, there are people out there who have been blindsided by suicide mm -hmm. and, um, and truly some people who are contemplating suicide are better at hiding it than others. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in hindsight, people are able to look back and see some signs mm -hmm. and um the idea is never at this point to shame anyone who has lost someone to suicide mm -hmm. because, um, because that is, it's just a really hard way to lose someone. Yeah. Um, but the idea is if we can start looking for some of these signs in our kids, then, mm -hmm. um, you know, these drastic behavior changes, withdraw, you know, withdrawing from people, all these things that we've been talking about, mm -hmm. um, then, then we can, you know, maybe at least start a dialogue and destigmatize this conversation. Yeah. yeah. And maybe we should all be talking to our kids about suicide yeah. a little bit, especially now. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's happening. It's happening and they're hearing about it, whether it's someone they know about or not. Mm -hmm. And, um, they have feelings about it. And, you know, not only that, but there are television shows that are kind of glamorizing it. Mm -hmm. The whole like 13 reasons why, Yes, which I have pretty mixed feelings about. Um, just because, like you said, there is, you know, the inability to weigh out consequences because of brain development in teenagers is the, the suggestion of that can kind of sometimes be tricky. So if you know if your kid is interested in that, that could be just something that they, a show they find interesting, or you might want to have some conversations around why that show is interesting to them. Yeah. 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 And like you said, these conversations are never to shame anyone who has had this experience. Um, and Truthfully, I think if you are someone who has been lucky enough to have pretty solid mental health throughout your life and never had any suicide attempts or suicide ideation, it might be hard to identify these behaviors in other people because it's not within your own personal realm of possibility. And so you may not be aware of what to look for. And so that's why we want to talk about this yeah. today. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> working on the crisis line, you become very attuned to look for that um, voice of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And I think um, in our society at large, we kind of shut that voice down. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone says like, oh, I'll never, I'll never be good enough. Um, you know, it's so easy to say, yes, you will. Mm -hmm. You'll be fine. Yeah. 
which might feel like you're validating them, but really you're shutting them down mm-hmm. because they're feeling hopeless and they want to talk to you about it. Um, and so, um, but it's so uncomfortable yeah. to sit with someone in their hopelessness. Especially I would imagine if it's your child that's feeling hopeless and you have to, you know, that you see their problems as, um, what's the right word? I mean, really trivial, you know, when we're talking about teenage problems and the the scuffles that they have with their friends, you know, as an adult, you know, this is going to pass. This isn't a big deal. You know, I'm, I'm working I got to pay all of our bills. Like your fight with your buddy isn't at the top of my list. However, for your kid, that can be a really tragic experience that makes them feel like they are in crisis, even if it feels insignificant to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, another, uh, resource that I want to pass on is there's this amazing program through crisis connections called teen link. Mm. So kind of along those lines, it's a, it's a call-in line where, um, kids and teens can call in the evenings and talk to other uh, teenagers and it's supervised by adults, obviously. Um, but they can talk about the issues that they're facing with their peers, um, who are trained, Mm. um, to hear that voice of hopelessness and to, to talk to them. Um, so important. Yeah. So the final myth I really want us to touch on, um, because suicide is an issue that is so stigmatized. And I think parents, of course, who love their children, do not want anything bad to happen to them might be afraid that talking about suicide will actually encourage or lead to suicide. What do you have to say about that? Um, that's definitely, I think one of the leading myths around suicide. And that's definitely one of the leading myths around suicide, not only with children, but Mm. people of all ages. Um, People are so afraid to talk about it because it's such a stigmatized issue. Mm -hmm. And they're afraid that if they ask someone, if they're considering it, that they're giving them the idea of it or that it will make it worse, that it'll be so upsetting to them that it will push them to do it um, that it will, you know, harm their relationship with that person. And the truth of the matter is, um, as someone who has asked literally hundreds of people, Mm -hmm. are you thinking about killing yourself? Um, when people are, and you ask them that there is an audible palpable sense of relief Mm -hmm. from them. Um, yeah, yeah, I am. And why is that? Why does that create a sense of relief? Because holding that on your own Mm -hmm. is very scary and hard. And, um, having someone ask you in a way that is neutral and safe and non-judgmental, um, and just gives you the space to talk about it is such a relief. Yeah. You know, and I see that in therapy with any issue or thought that people feel shame around is just being able to have the conversation and normalize it provides a huge sense of absolutely. relief. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, a lot of mental health issues kind of thrive in isolation mm-hmm. and suicide, suicidal ideation is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the way that we deal with suicide from start to finish in our, in our culture is, is really, really 
counterproductive, mm. you know. Um, another part about my background is that I used to um, co-lead the survivors of suicide group mm. at the at Crisis Connections, um, which is a group I also highly recommend if you've lost anyone to suicide, you know, a friend or family member. Um, it, it's a support group where people can go and, and share those experiences with each other and lean on each other because um, that type of grief, we call it complicated grief. Mm. You know, when you lose someone to cancer or, um, you know, some other Core way accident or... that's quote normal, mm -hmm. um, you talk about it, you know, people, you have a big, a big funeral and you talk about how they died and, um, when people die to suicide, depending on what kind of spiritual um, practice they belong to, they might not be able to tell anyone how it mm -hmm. even happened. And be shamed in their spiritual practice, right. which is probably when they need that the most. They might not be able to have a funeral in their place of worship. Mm -hmm. They might not, uh, you know, so many different things can happen. It can really wreak havoc on family systems as well. Um, so you know, and I think that's the, another myth that it's it's worth just pointing out is that there is this sense that people who die by suicide are selfish or they're taking the easy way out or they don't care about the other people in their lives. And I think that that comes from people who really can't understand what it might be like to be in a place where you would want to commit suicide. But that, in fact, is not the case at all. No, yeah, no. It, you know, it, it comes from a place of um, extreme suffering mm -hmm. and an inability to, in that moment, have the perspective that things can be okay. Yeah. And like we said before, they're not necessarily even really wanting to die. They're wanting to end their suffering. Like the kids who take all the pills and then call right away in the moment, they just, I forget what is the, you, you'll know this, but if you can get someone to get through like the next, is it 15 minutes or something like that, that the, probably the impulse to mm -hmm. commit suicide will pass. Yeah. Yeah. Just because the emotional suffering is really what they're trying to, to move beyond. Absolutely. Um, and again, kids and teens who commit suicide, their brains are not fully developed and they're more prone to impulsive behavior. And so it's not about being selfish or not caring about your family. It's about the fact that you're just not thinking clearly in that moment. Absolutely. So we're going to take another quick break. But when we come back, I want us to talk a little bit about... Um, and Kat is our expert here today that's going to let you know how you can talk to your child or teen or really anyone who's thinking about suicide in a way that is helpful and productive and not shaming. So you're not going to want to miss this. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit healthychildren.org. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Good morning. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW, and I'm your host, Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And today I am here with Kat Carson, who is my co-host, as well as the newest therapist at Anchor Light. And so we've been talking about suicide prevention in teens and kids, and Kat is going to share with us some effective ways that you can speak uh, with your kids and teens about this really difficult topic. So, um, you know, obviously it's going to depend on 
developmentally where they are. Um, and if you have a younger kid, younger child who's um, uh, making statements of being incredibly hopeless, um, wanting to disappear, wanting to hurt themselves, um, you can ask them, uh, you can ask them what that means. You can ask them um, if they're thinking about hurting themselves in a specific way, if they are wanting to die, um, if they're wanting to kill themselves. So I know it sounds really simple, but if you want to start a conversation about whether or not your child or teen is thinking about killing themselves, you literally just have to ask them if they're mm -hmm. thinking about killing themselves. Yes, but there's a good way to ask and maybe a less effective way to ask. So tell us about that. So sometimes it's such a scary question to ask that um, it can be tempting to ask in a way that sort of makes them answer in the negative. So yeah. for example, um, you, you aren't feeling suicidal, are you? Or you're not, you're not talking, when you say that, you don't mean you're going to kill yourself, do you? Mm -hmm. um, and when you ask that way, you're basically saying, um, don't tell me that you're going to kill yeah, yourself. Because that's the wrong answer. <laughs> because that's the wrong answer. Yeah. And you're, you're basically giving them the message that I can't, um, I can't handle the information that you are trying to give me. Yeah, yeah. And so kids won't give you that information. They'll just kind of stuff it down. And, you know, they're listening, they're paying attention and they are taking care of us a lot of times. Yeah, they don't want to hurt their parents or disappoint their parents. And so they might say, oh, mom might be too fragile to hear that. I better just keep this to myself. And then that even amplifies the shame that it, it is something that is really bad. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, the way that I looked at it as a crisis line phone worker and, um, you know, to be transparent, I've had people, you know, in my life who I knew who have had suicidal thoughts and feelings. And, um, you know, when I go to ask someone if they're thinking about killing themselves, I, I just make myself very calm. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that I'm creating the space in between us um, that I'm creating this safe bubble mm -hmm. where anything that they want to tell me is welcome. Yeah. Um, and so I do that with my voice and I do that with my intentions and, um, and I just, and I just ask, yeah. are, are you thinking about killing yourself? And that is not an easy task for a parent who's worried about their child, but the more neutral you can be when you start the conversation, the more effective it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe your kid will be like, no, God, <laughs> why are you bothering me? God, mom, <laughs> I would never do that, you know, and, and cool. If that happens, cool. That is awesome. And then maybe they, but maybe they'll say, yeah, I kind of have been thinking about mm -hmm. that. And then, you know, at that point you might freeze and feel like a deer in the headlights. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, crap. Now what do I do? Yeah. Um, and you might have a lot of different feelings. You might feel terrified. Um, but I just want you to know that the fact that your child just told you that is a, is an incredible gift. Mm -hmm. um, it means that you're doing an amazing job. It means that they trust you. Mm -hmm. And it means that you're ready to start this conversation with them. Yeah. And so um, from there, it's like, okay, get, you know, get curious. Like, what is that? So what does that look like? That must be really hard. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, do you think about a specific way that you want to do that? Um, because that's kind of when we're when we're looking at what kind of a risk exists. Um, we want to find out if someone has a specific plan in mind, and then if they have the means, the access to the means. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, if all those things are are in place, then it's <clears throat> it's time to go. You know, really get into action and go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if you have a child who is thinking about suicide, it's time for some mental health intervention. Yes. Um, and, you know, the other piece of this is if you feel that you're unable to have this conversation, if this is too emotionally charged for you, mm -hmm. you can call the crisis connections, the crisis line together. Mm -hmm. um, and someone who's trained in assessing for suicide risk can have this conversation with you guys on speakerphone. Um, or can have this conversation with your child while you're there in a supportive role. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is not an easy conversation to have with your child. You're going to have a lot of your own feelings about your child being depressed or suicidal. And so if you need the help of a professional, by all means, utilize those resources. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's so hard as parents for us not to take these things personally, mm -hmm. because we feel like we're supposed to keep our kids from having hard feelings, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I feel like that's part of the message we get as parents now. It's, you know, we're supposed to protect them from everything. We're supposed to make sure things aren't hard. Um, and, um, you know, this is another side note, but um, that's actually not our job mm -hmm. because, you know, obviously we don't want anyone to struggle to the point that they're contemplating suicide, but struggle is a natural part of growing up. And when we don't struggle at all, um, we don't know how to act in the world. When mm -hmm. we grow up, we don't know how to face things as mm -hmm. they come. So um, it's really seeing our kids through that struggle that um, is our job as parents and, and teaching them how to emotionally regulate and how to be good people. And, and you know, this conversation is a hard thing to walk through, you know, mm -hmm. walk next to your kids through, but you can do it you got this. Yeah. And, you know, the idea that your kids shouldn't struggle or that you should prevent that from happening kind of teaches them that they, there's something wrong if they are struggling. So struggle is part of the human condition, like we said, and you want your kids to be able to build resilience, but in a healthy way where they have the support that they need. Yeah. And even if your kid's like, oh my God, mom, I don't, why would you ask me that question? That could even open the door for the conversation about around what is really going on, you know? So there's, there's nothing really bad that can come from finding out what's going on with your kids. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this doesn't, it, it, this doesn't have to wait until you feel like your child's in crisis. Um, you know, starting a dialogue about this um, at any time, as Laura said, can kind of lay the groundwork mm -hmm. for this is something we can talk about in our household. Yeah. You know, um, I've heard that you know, I've heard this has happened, um, you know, that the rates have risen among some kids and teens. And honestly, the, the, the place, the reason I got the idea to do this particular topic for this show is because there was a post on one of the local parenting boards about a child who had completed suicide. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there were hundreds and hundreds of responses and, um, 
you know, people feeling so devastated and overwhelmed. And um, I just realized that this is going on, you know, in the Seattle area and it's close to home. And um, I want to make sure that parents have resources. You know, and I think, oh, and I, that post, I think that child was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes that's something that goes missed too, is maybe we might think more that uh, teenagers could be contemplating uh, suicidal behavior, but in fact, younger children are. And, and like you said, completing it. So it is a good conversation, even if you don't see that in your kids to say like, Hey, I know this has been a really tough year and it's been tough on a lot of people. What is that experience like for you? How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. So let's say, you know, you get to a point where you have a child who has told you that they're thinking about suicide and, um, and, you know, maybe you've called the crisis line to get help assessing, um, you know, the next step might be to go to the emergency room. Um, you know, Seattle Children's, um, University of Washington, um, any any emergency room close to you is a good resource. They all have amazing social workers who can um, assess your child and get your family resources, um, get you set up with counseling, and um, you know, make sure that you're that you're all safe and help you safety plan. Um, another thing that I want to say um, before I give you all some phone numbers is. Um, the most lethal way that someone can attempt suicide is with a gun. And, um, you know, everyone really needs to make sure that their guns are locked up if they have them and really make sure that their kids can't access them. That might mean changing your, getting a gun safe. That might mean changing the code because our kids are incredibly tech savvy. And um, so that's something that's really important right now. And, Um, you know, parents, if you're worried about your child and you're not ready to have the conversation with them, you can also call um, a therapist, call it here at Anchor Light, Mm -hmm. um, schedule an appointment um, to have some family therapy. You can call the crisis clinic um, and all of these places are, are here to help you during this time. Well, Kat, Thank you for all of those resources. Do you have the phone numbers that people can call if they they need immediate assistance? Yes. So the the phone number for the King County Crisis Connections is 1-866-4, the number four, crisis. All right. Well, we are out of time for today. Thank you for tuning in to Holding Ground. We'll be back next Monday with Anchor Light Therapist Mara Harrington, where we'll be discussing loneliness and what you can do when you're feeling lonely. In the meantime, go ahead and go over to anchorlighttherapy.com. You can catch past episodes of Holding Ground or schedule a complimentary consultation with Kat or one of the other Anchor Light Therapists. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.